just almost impossible to to dig in by hand. I think uh, the first two posts I tried to put in with a like a hand post hole digger, and it took me about two hours for each one. And I was like, oh man, I'm not going to do this. You know, after several blisters and frustra- frustration, I was just like, I'm going to go get a gas powered uh, auger and. Even with that, it was it was not easy like it like I would hoped it would have been. In that it was just packed clay full of dirt, basically fill from whenever they built the house, um, just filled with giant cobbles. And so, even with that auger, it was hitting big rocks and it was struggling to pull them up. And it was just nasty. It certainly wasn't soil that would be conducive for anything to grow in and you know flourish. Unless there was lots of prep that was done ahead of time to break it up and and get it where actually it could take seed and roots could grow deep. And, uh, you know, along the lines of what the parable of the sower that John taught on last week talks about, I just kept thinking of like, man, how important it is that we make sure that we're good soil like those kids were this week. Because you can hear the word of God. And that doesn't mean anything like automatically. And what I mean by that is that sometimes we can fool ourselves into thinking just because we've heard it, we agree with it, we believe it, that we're actually living it in our lives when really we can be like bad soil where the seeds just fall on us and birds come and snatch it away like in that parable or or the, the weeds of life kind of drown it out and it doesn't ever grow into anything in our lives. Or we can be good soil like those kids where the word of God just, implants itself in us and with god's help we live it out in our lives and there's visible change for the better that's the idea that's the heart that's what god wants to do through us learning his word to change us for the better and so i was teaching the kids in luke 10 just a familiar principle of christianity that being uh the with the parable of the good samaritan how God desires us to look at other people and love them. Something that, again, I'd say if you guys are followers of Jesus Christ, you'd probably know it and you'd agree with it. But as I saw them, like I said, just take that word in and receive it and believe it and ask for prayer, you know, just for God to help them love people the way he does. It was convicting to me because it was like, Lord, I want to check my heart because I know that um, over time, like when you get hurt by people or, People wrong you, which inevitably happens because we're all people. We're all sinners. Um, We can harden ourselves without even knowing it. Sometimes we can become hard in this very principle that God has taught us, this very simple principle, this main idea of following God and loving others like he does so that they can see him in your life can be something that becomes very hard to do. And so... I really sense the Lord wanted me to kind of teach the same passage to us today because there's probably some soil in some of our lives that needs to be broken up. Like John said, soil can be hard, but soil can be changed. And with God's help, there's nothing that's impossible. And the the good part of breaking up soil is that it allows you to receive what God's saying so he can free you from things like anger and hurt and bitterness Things that don't feel good to dwell in, right? And they accomplish absolutely nothing. Sometimes we hold on to those things because we feel like certain people deserve us to be angry or bitter at them, but it doesn't make anything better. And it just is a horrible feeling for us to dwell in. And so 
this idea of loving others as God tells us to is for our own benefit, even more so than other people. Amen. And so it's important for us to understand that. So, like I said, we're going to be in Luke 10. If you want to turn there, let me go ahead and pray. And then I'll pick it up in verse 25. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you so much again for your word. Thank you that it guides us into really simplistic ideas sometimes. Things that they make a lot of sense when we hear them. Yet they can be so hard to do in our lives because there's no way we can do them apart from you. Apart from you giving us understanding and then you helping us in the power of your Holy Spirit that you've placed in us through faith in your Son. So Lord... This is one of those sections where most of us would know that we know we're supposed to love people unconditionally because that's how you love us. But it's a whole nother thing to do that in our lives. And it's so hard to even to kind of fall into a place of not doing that and not even understanding it or realizing it until you bring it to our attention. So, Lord, this is one of those things that we want to do well. And we know we can because you told us to do it. And we know it reflects you perfectly. And that's what we want to do in our lives. We want everyone to understand the love of God has for them so they can know you too, just like we do. And we know that one of the primary ways you do that is through us. So Lord, help us learn this in a new way, in a fresh way, in a way that maybe sets us free from some of those horrible feelings we can have towards other people that you don't want us to live in and dwell in any longer. In Jesus' name, amen. So it says in verse 25, this is Luke 10. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. This would be Jesus, the him in this passage. Saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So this lawyer is an expert in religious law, which means by his very profession, he would have a great understanding of God's word. Or he would have already known the answer to this question. He was asking Jesus. So he wasn't asking Jesus to, in a sense, have something brought to his attention that he didn't know. He was asking Jesus to test him, as it says there in verse 25. Basically asking a question along the lines of, how does somebody live forever with God in heaven? That's what he's trying to get at. Like what we would call as Christians today, How is somebody saved? That's basically what he's asking Jesus here to see if Jesus could give him what he thought was the right answer so that if Jesus gave him a different answer, he could make Jesus look bad in front of everyone. And so Jesus being equal with God, knowing all things, knowing what this guy's true motives were, responds to his question with a question. Good way to respond to people sometimes if you sense they have wrong motives or they're not in the best of intentions. <laughs> Don't answer. Just respond with a question. That's what he does. And he does this because there is a big difference between knowing what God's word says and actually living it out in your life or having it implanted in your heart as I was talking about earlier before we even started. The difference being that if you actually believe and receive God's word in your life, it will result in visible change that you can see and that others can see. James talks about this in James 1, 23 through 25, and he calls it being a doer of God's word. He actually uses uses this example of how like if you look in the mirror 
and I'm paraphrasing this, but you look in the mirror and you see something's the matter and you walk away and you do nothing about it. Let's say you wake up in the morning and you see got bedhead and you walk away and do nothing about it. You're a fool. You're deceiving yourself. If you look at God's word and you see that there's something you're not doing and you agree with it and you don't change, you don't live according to that word, then you're deceiving yourself. The good soil that Jesus talks about in the parable of the sower that John shared last week, being those who receive God's word in their lives, they believe it and it yields fruit or visible change. That's what good soil is. Okay, and this lawyer is somebody that knows it in his head, but he's not living it in his life. Again, there being a big difference. Knowing what God says in your head is religion. But when you have a relationship with God, it results in change in your life for the better. Okay, so Jesus goes on to say in verse 26, he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? I like following this example when somebody kind of questions me about something that I can sense that maybe they're they disagree in something in the word or there's a bad intent. Like, well, what do you think God's word says about it? Just to see where they're at. And that's what he's doing. He's like, what do you think God's word says about it? And this lawyer gives the right answer scripturally. Again, he knows this answer in his head. It says in verse 27, and he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind in your neighbor as yourself. The lawyer quoting basically Deuteronomy 6.5 or Leviticus 19.18 under the law. Because he knew this. He knew what God's word says. And then he says in verse 28, or Jesus says in verse 28, and he said to him, you have answered correctly, but here's the key. Do this and you will live. All right? Not just knowing in your head. If you can do this, then you'll be good with God. You'll be right with God. Now, in another instance where the Jewish religious leaders were trying to trap jesus trying to test him similar similarly by asking him a question jesus gave this answer to the what the question what the lawyer was asking in matthew 22 34 through 40 it says but when the pharisees heard that he has silenced the sadducees with his reply they met together to question him again one of them an expert in religious law tried to trap him with this question teacher which is the most important commandment In the law of Moses and Jesus replied, you must love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So what they were trying to trap him in is is if he starts saying, well, this part of God's word is more important than others. They were going to kind of say, well, you're not really representative of God because all of God's word important. So Jesus, again, thinking like God, knowing their intent, he answers them and gives a perfect answer because what he says is that if you could do these two things, you'll follow all the rest of the law. Basically, you know, thou shall not steal, thou shall not murder, thou shall not lie. You're not going to do those things to people if you're truly loving them. So if you can truly love God with all your heart, you're never going to sin against him. If you truly love people with all your heart, you're never going to sin against them. So everything else is in those two things. If you can do these things, you'll be right with God. So this lawyer, he gives the right answer, like from a theological perspective, from God's word, because the point of the law was to show people this is what is required to be right with God so that you'll be able to have a relationship with him 
for all eternity or be saved. What the law taught them was that if you follow God's law, you follow his word and obey it perfectly, then you'd be right with God. But if you break one commandment, you do one thing wrong, then you're guilty of breaking the whole entire law. And that sin separates you from God. And God being perfectly just has to deal with that sin with a just punishment, which is death or separation from God for all eternity because sin is what brought death into this world. So the equal punishment for sin is death. The punishment fits the crime. And God gave them a means to cover over sin by offering sacrifices or through the death of animals, which didn't pay the price for sin, but it covered over it to the real sacrifice came, which was Jesus Christ. But the point of that was to show them just how destructive sin was with all this death it caused and to help them see that, holy cow, no matter how hard I try, I'm a sinner. I can't be perfect. Because constantly as they tried things, even like what this lawyer is trying to say is the way to be right with God, they'd see themselves fall short and they'd have to make a sacrifice and they have to make a sacrifice. So it was proving to them that they were sinners in need of a savior. But Jesus says here, if you can truly love God perfectly, which means never sinning against him or obeying him perfectly and truly love your neighbor or other people perfectly, that means never doing anything bad or wrong against anyone with wrong motives then you can be right with God and have a relationship with him for all eternity, which there's no way this lawyer or anyone else in this world through the course of time has ever been able to do because Jesus would go on later in Matthew 5, 21 through 22 and say that even if you think bad thoughts in your head about somebody, even if you get angry with somebody, how many of us have ever been angry at somebody before? Everyone. If you didn't raise your hand, you're lying. That's okay. You just sinned right there. So now you need a savior. But having said that, he said that even if you think the bad thoughts in your head, you're guilty of sin. Again, the law not being a way, a practical way, you could actually be right with God, but to show you practically that you needed a savior because we're all guilty of breaking it. So what Jesus is trying to help this lawyer understand, because he loves this guy, he wants this guy to get saved too, is that even though he knew the answer from God's word in his head, there's no way you've been able to do this in your life. There's no way you're going to be able to do it in your life, in your own power, so that the lawyer would understand his need for Jesus to save him. And the lawyer here appears to realize how hard it would be to do what God's word says at this moment, especially loving other people perfectly, surely realizing, well, I haven't done this always perfect in my life. Maybe realizing that, you know, all all these sacrifices, you know, he's made up to this point are just proof of that. He, it's all coming together in his head. So he tries to find a way to justify the times he had treated people poorly in his life or make them sound OK. So that in a sense, in his mind, he could he could justify, well, I'm I'm right with God because I I've done more good things or I've done more bad things or the people that I've done bad things to that I was justified in. It. So he says in verse twenty nine, but he desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, remember, Jesus said in order to be right with God, you had to love your neighbor as yourself, right? Now, how many of you love yourself? Every single one of you does. Again, you're lying if you don't. 
And maybe I should say it this way. How many of you guys purposely make bad decisions to bring harm to yourself? None of us. All right. What drives our decisions in life is because we want good things in our lives and for those we love because we love ourselves. I'm somebody that has this phobia of hurting my toes in my fingers. Okay. I can break a bone and I won't, I won't flinch. But if I stub my toe, it takes everything in me not to let unholy stuff come out of my mouth. I was teaching the kids this at kids camp and it just so happens the day after I'm undoing this. I have this huge giant pipe wrench that I'm undoing the uh, the uh, the fire hydrant because we were doing water games and we needed to we hook up a fire hose. And wouldn't you know that I dropped that big pipe wrench on what my toe (laughs) and and man, I screamed bloody murder. Nothing else came out of my mouth other than that. But you would have thought I was dying. I felt like I was dying. Because for whatever reason, my toes are just the most sensitive thing in my life. It freaks me out. I can't like if one of the kids came up and showed me this picture of like a toe, like a hangnail or something. It was like, oh, I'm going to faint. All right. Just don't do that. <laughs> but I digress. Anyways. My purpose, my point in sharing that is that I would never purposely drop something on my toe or stub it because I love myself. Okay. I would never do anything on purpose to harm myself. We take care of ourselves because we love ourselves in a much the same way. We would never, ever want to do anything to hurt other people if we truly loved them the way God says. And that goes for all people, even the ones who hurt us in life. We're still called to love them. We have to understand a lot of the times when we say we love people, we're thinking of it in terms of a worldly perspective. And worldly love is like so shallow compared to God's love. Because worldly love is I will love you until you do something to wrong me. And then I'm not going to love you anymore. I'm going to give up on you. And that's not what God's love is. God's love is unconditional He loved you before you ever even were looking for him. When you were at your worst, you were in your sin against him. That's when he loved you. And so he loves you no matter what. The closest thing we have to that is probably with our family, especially our kids, because you're born with a love for them that is almost supernatural and that you love them no matter what. And we're not perfect in that, but it's, it's, you know, it's an even more perfect love than that. God loves you no matter what. And that's the love he calls for us to have for others. Now, that doesn't mean that when somebody hurts you or wrongs you that they're right. Not at all. They're still guilty of sin, just like anyone else. And they have to do business with God on that. They have to ask for forgiveness. It doesn't mean that you you loving people when they hurt you doesn't mean that you stay in a place where people are hurting you. God doesn't expect that. But we're always called to respond in love, whether we think people deserve it or not. And here's the greatest example for you in that, because that's what Jesus did to you. That's what Jesus did to me. Jesus loved the very people that were nailing him to that cross, which we were a part of, whether we understand it or not, because it's our sin that nailed him there. And he loved us anyways. And that's the love we're displayed to other people so God can see him in our lives. So this lawyer realizing that He hasn't always loved everybody in his life as he loves himself. Or the way Jesus said, in order to be right with God, 
he asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? Or he basically wants to know if there's some people that he didn't have to love that way. What about that person that talked badly about me, Jesus? What about that person that wronged me? What about that person that hurt me? Do I have to love them? What he's trying to do here is compare himself to others because sometimes we can think that we're justified in our sinful actions because we're not as bad as somebody else. And so we start looking at others thinking that, okay, well, God will accept us based off that fact, that that person is way more worse than I am. But that's not what God's word teaches. It says that, again, you sin at all, you're guilty of breaking the whole law. So we're all equally sinners in God's eyes, and we all equally need Jesus's forgiveness so we can be forgiven of that sin through and, and right in God's eyes. So Jesus goes on to answer the lawyer's question by giving him an example of what loving others the way God desires us to or how to look at others equally. Like these are things that God desires for us. And this is the example he gives them. It says in verse 30, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by a chance, a priest who was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. So there's this man traveling from Jerusalem. He would have been Jewish. He's beaten. He's left for dead by robbers. And a priest and a Levite end up walking by him and do nothing to help him. Now, priests were people specifically called by God, set apart by God to teach his word to the people and to make sacrifices on their behalf so that they could be right with God and worship him. Basically, they were representatives of him. And they were there so people could see the characteristics of God. They could see his mercy. They could see his forgiveness, kind of like pastors are today. And now, Levites were people specifically chosen by God to take care of the temple and the things used to worship God. They were called to be holy like God, set apart by God again. They were supposed to reflect his characteristics in their lives, kind of like deacons today both these men being those that would have known what god's word said and should have known that god would have desired them to show his compassion on this man that had been beaten up and left for dead that god would have wanted them to do something to help him out but they did nothing and as such they looked at him as this lawyer was trying to look at people you know for whatever the reason might have been they were not looking at him as god looked at him And the same thing can happen to us when we make the mistake of thinking that we're better than others. If we don't truly understand the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ correctly. Because before we're saved, you have to understand, before we believe in Jesus Christ, we acknowledge our need for him to save us from our sins. We're all guilty of some sin, right? Can we agree with that? That none of us is perfect. It often baffles me when... People come to church and they're surprised by the fact that it's full of sinners. Yes, isn't it great? That's why we're here. We need a savior. Yes, we're not perfect yet. Or sometimes I see this in in marriage counseling because somebody will get married and they go through the the hardships of understanding what it's like to live with somebody 24-7 and see the good, the bad, and the ugly. 
And they're like, I don't, I don't know if I married the right person. They yada, 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 yada. And I'm like, oh, you're telling me you just realized they're a sinner. Have you ever thought what they got stuck with? Seriously, in my 44 years of life, I've learned the most profound truth. And I want you to listen to this, to know how to not be disappointed by people. Just understand that nobody's perfect. <laughs> That's the reality. None of us are perfect. That doesn't mean it doesn't justify wrong actions. We all are striving for God to help us fix the bad things in us. But by the blood of Jesus, that's the only way we're made perfect in God's eyes. And we all are very much works in progress, right? Continually. It's kind of like as you physically get older, you're physically changing. Now, that's not always good. (laughs) But as you're spiritually growing, you're always spiritually changing or God is spiritually changing you for the better. That's the better growth. But it's a continual process until you get to heaven. And as the word says, you will be like God. You won't have all of the junk anymore. Amen. That's something we all look forward to, but it's a process. Now, God views you right in his eyes now because of Jesus, sacrifice being complete, paying the price for all your sins. And he knows for sure that's how you're going to end up. It says in Philippians one, he who started the good work will complete it. He's going to finish that work in all of us. So he sees you as right. But because we're only right in God's eyes because of Jesus, we shouldn't think of ourselves as better than anyone else because we're not. Apart from him, we're not. And the reality is they just, anyone else in our lives struggling with sin, they just need Jesus to save them from it just like we do. They're in the same boat and he loves them and he wants to save them just as he loves us and wants to save us. Maybe other people do appear to have what is greater sin in their lives, but the reality is that's not how God sees it. And so because God doesn't see it that way, we shouldn't view others that way at all either. And now we see Jesus give an example of somebody that viewed others correctly, the way we should look at others. It says in verse 33, says, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, a denarii being a full day's wage back then, saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now, it's important to understand that this time in history, Samaritans were despised by Jewish people. There was a bunch of cultural friction because Samaritans were people of mixed race, maybe partly Jewish, but then partly, um, you know, their other parent was somebody of the uh, like inhabitants of the surrounding countries and stuff. So there was like a race racism. Basically, the Jewish people looked down upon them as half breeds and really thought poorly of them. They did not get along very well at all. But despite this, the Samaritan, he sees this Jewish guy laying here half dead, beaten up. And in his mind, seeing a Jewish person, he had every right to think that this guy hates my guts. This guy thinks I'm junk. You know, I'm not worth his time, whatever. But instead of hating him back or deciding that, you know, I'm not going to help this guy out. He doesn't deserve it. He does the opposite. He has compassion for him or cares about him being hurt. Compassion, again, being an attribute of God, that the priest and the Levite who were supposed to know God and represent God in their actions should have had, but didn't. Again, 
Them having an understanding of who God was and what he said, having religion in their lives, but not being able to live that out because they needed Jesus to save them and help them and change them. And the Samaritan, he doesn't feel bad, just feel bad for this guy, but he puts that compassion into action by actually taking the time to get down and lift him up to a place, bring him to a place of safety, tend his wounds where he can be healed, he can be restored, and he offers to cover the whole entire cost for everything so that he can stay there as long as necessary to be completely healed from his afflictions. And in doing so, the Samaritan did exactly what Jesus would have done. And we know that because that's what Jesus did for you and me in our lives. Because that is the way sin leaves us. It leaves us beat up and broken down and hurting. And we're powerless against it until Jesus comes and saves you from it. And he brings you to a place of safety where your wounds can be tended to and healed until you're completely restored and ready for when he comes back. Amen? Amen. That's what Jesus did for us. And that's what the Samaritan did for this man. And Jesus goes on to say to the lawyer in verse 36, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Or which of these three do you think actually showed God's love correctly? And the lawyer says in verse 37, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. I like that. This is something I hadn't seen before. But I'm I'm willing to just guess here. We can't know for sure, but. I'm thinking this guy believed in Jesus and got saved right here. Because if you look at before, when Jesus is telling him, you know, he gives the right answer. And Jesus tells him, um, when he answers correctly, he says, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. It's kind of like a question. It's like, well, if you can do this, you can live. But what does he tell him now? He says, now you can go and do likewise. And that's not something he would have been able to do unless Jesus was there to help them in his life do it. But there's a change of heart in this guy because he understands that he was wrong. And I'm willing to bet he believed in Jesus. He saw that Jesus was who he had said he was, that he came to save them. And he placed his faith in him. And it's interesting because there's three different examples in this passage of how we can view people in life. The first was the way the bandits or thieves saw this Jewish man as somebody basically to hurt, to steal from. The same way the enemy sees you and me. The same, if that's the way we see people, that's what we're doing. We're basically following after the enemy's lies. There was the priest and the Levite that saw him as somebody to avoid. Maybe somebody too dirty for them. Somebody not worth their time. Somebody that got what was coming. And so they deserved what happened to him which is often how the world can see people when we have a self-righteous attitude, when we have a wrong understanding of the gospel, when we think we're better than others, when we're not. But then you see the third way, the Samaritan who saw him as somebody to love and help just as God did, just as he sees you and me, just as he desires us to see others. And one of the main reasons the Lord wants us to love each other, you have to know this is 
for our benefit in our relationship with him because he knows that it is going to lead you into a very close relationship with him. The first reason being because you can't love others people you can't love others unconditionally without God's help. You can't. It's only something through the power of the Holy Spirit that you Jesus telling us in John 15 that we have to stay close to him so he'll be able to produce the fruit he wants to in our lives or for the good things that he wants to do in us and through us. They can't happen without his help. And the way I often like to look at this is sometimes when I ask my kids to do stuff, I know that they're chores or they're things that they can't do on their own. For instance, I have this, uh, I, I have the boys sometimes rake up leaves from this big shrub that I cut with a hedge trimmer and the more and more that yard debris can gets filled up the heavier and heavier it gets so i know that they're not going to be able to move that can by themselves and so what i do is i tell them to do it but i go out there to meet them in that place of obedience so that i can ensure that they're able to do what i asked because i'm not setting them up to be defeated i want them to be successful And I understand what it takes for them to be successful and I'll do whatever I need to to ensure that happens. Amen? That's how God looks at you and me. All the stuff he asked us to do, we can't do in our own power well. And so when you and your obedience step out with that that childlike faith, that mindset of like, I'm going to listen, I'm going to obey. I want to follow God and do this thing. Help me, Lord. He meets you and then you're able to do it with his help. Amen? But that keeps you close to Jesus, loving others as he tells us to, because you can't do it without him. Second thing is that loving others will help you stay close to him because God desires to be there for people that need to be loved. God so loved the world, John 3.16 says. So everyone in this world needs to be loved. And there's a passage in Matthew 25 where it's talking about Jesus' second coming and It says in verse 34, then the king will say to those on the right, come, you who are blessed by my father. And I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing when when did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you and the king will say i tell you the truth when you did it to one of the least of these my brothers and sisters you were doing it to me see when you help others out of a place of love you're really doing that with the lord and for the lord it's the lord that's there Especially when people are hurting. Because Psalm 34, 18 tells us the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescued those whose spirits are crushed. The Lord loves to be the one that is there to comfort people when they need to. For believers, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5 tells us that when we go through suffering, the Lord teaches us how to use that to comfort other people going through the same suffering. So when you see people suffering in your life, God will use you. To comfort them in a way that only he can but through you. And you'll see God do it. They'll see, they'll experience God do it. For the unbeliever, and we were all there once. We look for a million different things in this world to comfort us and none of them work. So God desperately wants to be that comfort to people that are hurting in this world. 
And often it's through you, especially through loving them when they don't deserve to be loved. Because nothing better shows God's true unconditional love for them than that. And when you try to comfort them, God is able to show himself and reveal himself to them. Either way, loving others, as God tells us to, will result in us being close to Jesus and seeing how real he is. Amen? Amen. Well, as the worship team comes back up here, I just want to end on, again, going, kind of going back to kids camp and what I saw in those kids. Because in Matthew 18, 1 through 4, it says, About that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them. And then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I witnessed that humble faith this week over and over again in your kids. I saw kids that listened to what God said and realized there were people in their lives that they weren't loving unconditionally. And they came up and they asked their counselors, can you pray for me? Because I want to love people like God says. And I want his help to do it. They didn't question. They didn't hesitate. They listened to the God's word and they obeyed. And there was great fruit because of that. Their hearts were good soil. And I believe today he's calling us to have the same faith in them as them so that he can produce that same good fruit in us and it's good like i said at the beginning to always ask ourselves are are our hearts hard like this lawyer's was at the beginning of this conversation with jesus do we try to make up excuses as to who our neighbor is or why we're not justified or why we are justified in not loving some people I mentioned this at the beginning, but it's really easy for your heart to harden over time. I was reminded of how important it is to lay these foundations in kids at a young age. Because as you live your life, there's certainly going to be lots of people hurting you and disappointing you, talking bad about you. And if we aren't intentional about asking God to respond to that with love, before you know it, you get calloused. Your heart becomes hard. You become bitter, you become angry, resentful, and that's a horrible place to be. We need God to break up that soil if that's the condition we're in today. But you got to be like kids. You got to be humble enough to say, all right, yep, I've been wronged, but that doesn't mean I need to respond with a wrong heart. I can still love them. God will help me do that. God help me love. I, I I trust you to deal with how I was wronged because you know their heart better than me and you're just. They deserve grace and forgiveness just like me, but that's between them and you. I'm not worried about it. I just want to respond the right way so I can be free of that hatred and that bitterness. You ever You ever thought, again, practically, this is for our benefit. Is it better to hate people or love them? What's the better feeling? Isn't that feeling you have with your kids and your spouse and your family, that love? Isn't that the greatest feeling? Being mad, hating people, being bitter. Not only does it absolutely accomplish nothing, it just leaves you feeling miserable. And God says, I can help set you free of that. 
I want to set you free of that. Don't live in that. Live in the blessed life, the happy life I intend for you. You can trust that hurt to me. That's what I believe God would be saying to us today. So if you have people in your life, again, people that you're having, you have trouble loving. Nobody's saying that those wrong things they did are right. Nobody's telling you to sit and put yourself in a place of people hurting you. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that God is here to help you be free of that hurt and that pain and that anger and that resentment, that bitterness, whatever it is, if you're just willing to let him. If your heart's hard, it's not too hard for him to break it up right now. But you got to respond like a child and take him at his word and believe and say, yep, that's what I want, Lord. Help me. So we're going to have our prayer team up here and you can come up and get prayer. Maybe you have your kids sitting next to you and you just want your kids to share that faith they have and pray for you. I'd encourage you to ask them. It was really moving to see these kids pray this week. With, I mean, pray, and when I say pray, it's like they were confident that God would do what he says he's going to do. No doubt whatsoever. But don't miss this opportunity for God to do something for you and relieve you of something that maybe you've carried around for years. And God says, no more. I set you free of it. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you so much for the freedom you've given us. You came to set the captives free. Sometimes we think of that in terms of addictions, which surely you you have set us free from that. But some of us are addicted to hurt and pain and suffering and anger and bitterness, Lord. We haven't been able to let it go. We haven't been willing to let it go. That's a better way to put it, Lord, even though you freed us from it. We don't have to carry it around. It is that weight, like Hebrews 12 tells uh, tells us of, that we're to lay aside or that sin that keeps tripping us up that you've given us the ability to give to you, to trust you with it so we don't have to carry it around. So I pray for that freedom to be experienced in our lives today, Lord. You said in your word, who the sun sets is free is free indeed, Lord. You wouldn't say it if it wasn't possible. And we want that humble childlike faith to just believe you at your word and and trust you and look to you for help lord do a work in your people right here so even if they came with these heavy weights in their lives and hard hearts hard soil that that soil is broken up and they are free and they leave here displaying that same love that you've shown them over and over again in their lives lord in jesus name amen